Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Well, friends, welcome to another edition of the Insurgents Podcast. And if you're new to this podcast, I think it's the 975th episode. Wow, you got it right the first time. And what's up, everybody? (laughs) No, but there have been quite a few beforehand, and there will be more afterwards. And so you can catch up because all of these podcasts go hand in hand. Amen. And I'm with my compatriot, Jeffrey Harley, who is a pastor in inner city Philadelphia. Very insightful guy. He has joined the insurgents. Amen. Amen. And preaching the gospel of the kingdom there in Philly. And if you have not heard, the insurgents has begun. Mm. Don't miss it. Amen. Uh, We're living in a very interesting time. We are on the ground floor of a revolution. And unfortunately, many people, Jeff, as you know, they, they take that term, revolution. Yeah. They will probably at some point take insurgents. And will then mold and shape it to describe whatever they're involved in. Uh, so, you know, the conservative right politically, they talk about their revolution. Yeah. The progressive left and politically, they talk about their revolution. <laughs> and everybody has their own revolution. Yeah. But seriously, the Lord is doing something. Yes, you in the way of recovering the earth-shaking gospel of the kingdom. And we're talking about different aspects of it. Today, we want to talk about racism and the kingdom of God. Mm. And I think you'll find that we're going to come at it from a a totally different perspective. And as Jeff and I were talking this morning, well, you remember, Uh (laughs) at breakfast, I made the comment that in my observation, most people who go to seminary are learning more and more about less and less until they know everything about nothing. Wow, you should say that again. Because <laughs> somebody can go get a pencil and paper <laughs> well, right now. They can just right hit then, rewind. Then. Okay, okay. But would you that. not agree that that was your own experience in Center? Yeah, yeah. It was, I, I got a lot of information that was tantalizing, but irrelevant when it came to practical ministry for the people that uh, the Lord would have me serve. Yeah, and that's true across the board. I mean, first of all, most Christians are not intellectuals, yeah. most Christians, yeah. okay? Secondly, even those who are intellectual, sisters and brothers, spiritual life has nothing to do with the frontal lobe yeah. or swelling yeah. the cranium. Yeah. That is not spiritual ministry. Jesus Christ, the minister of the gospel, All right. was incredibly simple. Amen. And he spoke simply. Oftentimes, he would use one-syllable words, two-syllable words. He spoke to the people. He had the common touch, as Uh Kipling said in his famed poem, although you can walk with kings, Uh do not lose the common touch. And he told stories, and not stories that were intellectually heady, but stories that 
people could identify with. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Amen. And there's a difference between intellectual yeah. intellectualism and the life. ministry of life. Yes, that really yes, is yes. something that's so often overlooked. I will add one little caveat. Jeffrey, my feeling is if you are somebody who wants to teach in a seminary, uh, that's kind of your goal is, you know, maybe you want to teach Greek or Hebrew or some specialty within the Christian framework, Christian history, things Mm -hmm. like that. If that's your goal, then I would say seminary probably is the option for you. But if you want to minister to God's people, if you want to be a teacher in the body of Christ, if you want to be a prophetic person or apostolic person, or you're interested in forming communities and raising up the body of Christ, then I would not advise anybody to go to seminary, but instead to take the way of Jesus and Paul of Tarsus, the apprenticeship, which is totally different from sitting under a seminary professor and God has his way of training workers in the vineyard. And I've talked about it in some of my books. Yeah, yeah. Uh, particularly Finding Organic Church. You'll find it there, as well as in some other works. When a book really grabs you, and the Spirit of God just uh, is just speaking to you through it, mm. you, can't, you can't put it down. And so it's something that you know, you want it to, to really come in you. In yeah. your spirit, you really want to get in there. As I, as I said to you personally, and, and even now, out of all your books that you've written, Insurgents, that is your masterpiece. I mean, we talked at breakfast this morning, you know, Jesus' theography was one, was still one of my favorites still too, because I always like biographies, so I just like that whole approach. Yeah, Insurgents, I've read that one the most. Wow. Probably that from wow. eternity to here. So, At least six times. That's humbling to me because there are only a few books, gosh, maybe one or two, that I have read more than twice. Just for me, even reading a book more than once is, is pretty rare, but there are some books I have read more than twice. The authors are no longer alive. Mm. And I have found that to really become immersed in a message mm-hmm. from the Lord it does take more than once. Same it does. Thing with absolutely. audio messages. Yeah, absolutely. Hearing it one oh, yeah. time is oh, not yeah. going to move the needle. Oh, yeah. It's that drip, drip effect that uh, really yeah. causes Amen. the transformation and the renewing of the mind. But having said that, there is a chapter in the book called The Race Card mm-hmm. of the Early Church. And there's a few other chapters that deal with the issue of racism. And I try to put the whole conversation in a completely different context. That article was born out of what was happening in the national dialogue during the Zimmerman trial. When you had George Zimmerman was his name, and he had uh, shot mortally a young black man named Trayvon Martin. I believe he was a teenager. Yes, yeah. This created a firestorm of controversy, um, even among Christians. Yeah. And the social media feeds were burning up with vitriolic debates around the whole issue. And then, of course, racism comes up. And so the article, The Race Card of the Early Church, was a contribution to the conversation that took it out of the public discourse 
and the framework that most everyone was working with and put it into a totally different context. Yeah. And you know, one of the arguments that's made in that piece is the idea that Jesus Christ is the great liberator and he's the great mm. unifier. Amen. So much so that he has brought together in his death and resurrection and the deposit of his life. He's brought together the two groups, the two races, the two ethnicities that have had the highest degree of racial tension and hatred in history. Yes. And that is the Jew and the Gentile. So I unpack that and you find that Jew and Gentile have been at one another's throats, not for hundreds of years, but for thousands of years. And here Jesus Christ comes along, and as he so often does, he accomplishes the impossible, and he obliterates the dividing wall between those two races. Amen. Whereby Jews and Gentiles not only can hold hands over the fence, but destroy the fence. All right. And hold one another as brother and sister and as family. Destroy the fence. Where they see one another as brothers and sisters of the same family. Amen. And that is the kingdom of God. Amen. Where, again, we get back to an alternative civilization of people who have given their whole lives and allegiance to this person named Jesus, received his indwelling life, Mm -hmm. and the magic, if I can use that word, that happens. Amen. Where racism is off the table. Yes. And not only racial divisions, but social divisions, and on and on. But anyway, brother, that's my introduction. Jump in here and talk to us about racism. I used to to negotiate employer-employee labor contracts, and so there always became a time and the bargaining where you would say, you know, we're going to put our cards on the table. So I'll put my cards on the table. So for me, what part of that is I'm a, uh, I'll say middle-aged African-American male. And so you need to know that when I begin to speak. And, and so I grew up when I was 10 years old, I went to a exclusive private preparatory school. And in my first Three days of school, I had eight fights from people calling me the N-word. Mm. And so I needed to tell you that because my only response was to fight. Mm. And uh, coupled with that was uh, I had three older sisters, and, and they used to listen to this musician called Gil Scott Heron. And he had a, a song that was a favorite of mine as a young kid called The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. And it was, you know, it was during, it was birthed out of the riots in the late 60s and in black nationalist movement. So that was part of, and we're going to do another podcast later about culture, but that was part of the learned behavior that I had. So when, you know, I got older and, you know, I come to the Lord, my expectation in the body of Christ was that there wouldn't be that racism from what I saw, you know, in the word of God. But my experience was different mm-hmm. than what the Word of God says. But my response wasn't what the Word of God says <laughs> right. either. My response was back, I could hear Gil Scott Heron, the revolution will not be televised. 
the revolution will be no rerun, brother. The revolution will be live. Mm-hmm. And and so my response was in a violent and, and negative way. And that didn't bother me. In fact, I felt justified in that. And so you, you fast forward then to even when you were uh, we're talking about George Zimmerman and uh, Trayvon Martin. I can remember going to church during that time period and wearing a hoodie in the pulpit. Mm as solidarity with Trayvon. Mm. Even in, in a predominantly African-American church context, and even some of them were, were kind of taken back by that. But that was Jeff being, you know, radical and, you know, pushing. <laughs> I reposted, I know, on Facebook and Twitter, different things that, that came from that racist, you know, as an attack on response to racism. And I was upset that, uh, my white, my white brothers and sisters couldn't mourn with me as I mourned. Not realizing, you know, that justifying myself because of the history of our country that I was in the right. T.A. Sparks, he quotes 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. And Sparks just goes on to say, you are a holy nation, a nation separated from this world unto God. Mm. New birth means that, oh, that was made clear to all right there at the beginning. How utter this thing is. The Lord Jesus left people in no doubt about this. A cleavage, utter and absolute. He would take risk with people, right? And people would probably say, oh, why, why put them off? Why run the risk of offending them? By saying you, you know, you have to sever yourself from the world. Why discourage them by saying accept, accept, accept all the time? No. Jesus said you have been called to a distinctiveness of life and testimony. Real distinctiveness of life and testimony is our life, dear friends. And so as even reading insurgents and Frankie V bringing out about, you know, the race card and that distinctiveness of life, the thing that really was a, a seismic earthquake to my spirit, was when you had looked at the Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee above all Pharisees, mm-hmm. who went so far as to, you know, kill Christians and imprison women and, women and children. He was very zealous in his own words. A person who probably wouldn't even walk down the same side of the street as a Gentile. Right. If he said a Gentile's name, would probably say it spitting. Yep. His being captured by the glory of Jesus Christ so dramatically transformed his heart and character mm-hmm. that he publicly went out and said, I'm the apostle of the Gen- to mm-hmm. the Gentiles. Wow. That that was his calling in ministry. Think about how he had to die to himself, how he had to die to the culture that he was brought up in, how he had to die to his preconceived assumptions and notions about people and race. And how he had to be persecuted by his own, his own Jewish culture for his association with Gentiles. And then he even, and Frank, you bring this out in a great teaching, how he even went as far to confront Peter mm-hmm. when Peter, you know, compromised in that area. And that made me, and this didn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. This, uh, it made me, I had to say, you know what? Lord, you called me unto yourself. You separated me unto you. You know, my life is not my own anymore. I've been bought with a price, and I belong to you. And my allegiance is to Christ, and I have to sever ties. And if 
God is going to get his eternal purpose. And one thing I love about the Lord is he always gets what he wants to get at the end of the day. Yeah. Is yeah. um he wants a people that he's called to himself that are a reflection of him in the earth that manifest his divine life in a fallen world. And that's us. That's us. And that's us in this insurgents, guys. And that means that I have to die to all those preconceived assumptions, all those things. I can't justify anger against another. I have to love my brother. I have to intentionally enter into relationships, have conversations, and be patient with one another, forbearing with one another. And it can be difficult. And I can look at the history of our country and different things, but at the end of the day, I belong to Christ. And what Christ desires is above all else. And I speak that also to my other part of our family in the body of Christ that just happens to be African-American too, because our allegiance and our identity in Christ supersedes any other identity that we have. I just happen to be a follower of Christ who happens to be of a darker skin color than some of my other family in Christ, but we're all in Christ and that, and we're that new race and we are to be an example. We can, we can demonstrate that this is what it looks like when God is in charge. This is what it looks like. The problems that the world has, we don't have because of who we are in Christ. And we're, and that's a message in itself to the world. It doesn't mean you don't have to get former presidents and athletes on a stage to have a conference on racism and talk about it. You don't need sociologists. You don't need psychiatrists. You don't need all the other, you know, isms in there. All you need is an encounter with Jesus Christ, um, day by day, revealing of his glory to yourself and be captured by that. And I'll tell you what, the whole table changes. Yes. The cards, the cards. So, and, and, and this is it. And we are the answer. Right. We in the insurgency are the answer to the world's issues when it comes to that. Because when you get down to the end of the day, you know, truth be told, Frankie V and I were talking about, you go into a high school cafeteria or a college cafeteria. I remember my own school. And you go in the cafeteria and everybody segregates by race. But if you go further into that, and I did, and you go into where all the darker colored peoples are, then what you will notice is, even within our own races, there's schisms. Mm. There's schisms in the African-American community over darker skin than light skin, so the mm. hue of your skin. There's schisms from, you know, class, economic class. There's, there's schisms from where people live, suburbs and city. You know, I grew up in the suburbs, and I went to great schools, I minister in the city, and so sometimes if you're listening to me talk, I've had people say to me, oh, when I talked to you on the phone, I thought you were white. I didn't know that you were a brother. And it's like, really? So there's a well, way that I have to talk why that did, makes why me black? Why didn't you say to them, but don't I sound like Denzel Washington? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess Denzel doesn't sound black. You know? But, you know, you know, guys, and it's, it's why, you know, I'm glad we're saying this in a humorous way because when you really get down to it at the end of the day, like, it was, like we said, our identity in Christ supersedes everything else. And when you look at these schisms, these are just, you know, strategies of Satan to divide us. And we, you Absolutely. know, should not fall 
for those his devices like that. Paul said we should not be ignorant of his devices. Mm-hmm. And we, as believers, cast down every thought, every imagination that tries to exalt itself above the knowledge of God, and we bring it down into captivity and under the obedience of Jesus Christ. Amen. And Amen. that, oh, it, is, it is a Sunday, I think. I'm not in the pulpit. <laughs> I have been privileged to be part of kingdom communities. And when I say kingdom community, I'm talking about face-to-face communities where people share life on life, you know, not just meeting or a series of meetings, but life on life. And uh, this started back in 1988. Mm. I, I left the traditional form of church, the institutional form of church, whole another story behind that, and we began to explore for what it means to be ecclesia. And what we found in our experience, and then later raising up similar kingdom communities over the years, is a span of 30 years. One of the characteristics is that every single kingdom community that I have been a part of, face-to-face, living, breathing community, I was seeking to put ourselves under the headship of Christ and not under a headship of a man. Amen. Is that the demographic was always multi-ethnic and multicultural. Amen. Black brothers and sisters, Latino brothers and sisters, Asian brothers and sisters, even Italian brothers and sisters, of which I am a part. All of us living life as family. Amen. As an extended household. And what's so amazing is that when you really encounter Christ in a deep way and you learn to live by his life, you don't see race. It's, it's, yeah. it's not even on the radar. You yeah. know what I mean? You yeah. don't think, oh, yes. this is yes. my black brother. This is my Asian yeah. sister. You see one another as, as truly kin. And it's even thicker than natural kin. Amen. The blood is thicker Amen. than who you're naturally related to. Everything that the world is looking for and trying to alleviate through peer pressure social activism, and the levers of the political system Mm -hmm. is found in a kingdom community of believers when they have truly, authentically, and genuinely enthroned the Lord Jesus Christ over them as king, as head, and are learning to live by his life together. Amen. The world can look at that and see what a group of people look like of mixed races and ethnicities and see them loving each other. And that's exactly one of the things that turned the Roman Empire on its ear. Come on. Is the pagans looked at these, called them Christians, and said, look how they love one another. And that wasn't just a statement looking upon a people that were of the same race. They were looking at a people who were mixed in their race. Jews and Gentiles. Yes, yes. And each of those divided up. And they were saying, I cannot believe this. What is yeah, this? Yes. Well, I'll tell you what is it's supernatural. I'll tell you what is it's the kingdom of God Amen. that is in the future brought right here into the present. It is the new Israel. Amen. It is. That's what Israel was supposed to be, a light to the nations. Light. The difference, though, is that in the new Israel, there is Jew and Gentile. Amen. And Jesus Christ who is the head of the new humanity. See, a lot of people, and this, unfortunately, this is what's stressed in some seminaries, is Jesus was Jewish. 
So we have to look at him as a Jew in the first century. Well, you know, yeah. physically, it was a Jew. He was a Jew. Mm-hmm. But his roots precede Abraham. His roots precede Amen. Isaac and Jacob. Mm-hmm. His roots precede the nation of Israel. He is an eternal being. He was the eternal son before he ever landed here. And not only that, he is the head of a new humanity, mm-hmm. the head of a new creation that is neither Jew nor Gentile. Gentile. The same words that Paul uses to describe the kingdom community, this colony from heaven. Hallelujah. It's not Jew or Gentile. Right. It's not black That's or white. Right. It's not Latino or Asian. It is a new, new humanity, a new, new race, a yes. new creation yes. with a different kind of life. Yes. And that's not just religious rhetoric. That is reality, brother. That's right. right. Am I right? That's right. That's that, reality. That is reality. That's reality. That's a reality that God's people can experience. The answer to racism is Jesus Christ. Amen. And it's a person. the kingdom community that flows from him. And you know, you know, Frankie, when you were saying that, man, I see a lot of people, you know, we talked earlier about seminary, I, you know, in seminary, a lot of people saying, you know, they look at Revelation and see there's people from every nation worshiping the Lamb. So we have to focus on making our church, you know, multi-ethnic. And so people, they, they strive for that. They'll put that in a vision statement, the mission, and they strive for that. And they reach out to go get that. But see, if I may, from my humble African-American perspective, what I normally see when I've seen, and I've been a part of a couple churches that were like that is, you know, if I'm looking at it then from my African-American perspective, there's usually someone from the dominant culture who's the senior pastor. The other pastors on the pulpit are predominantly from the dominant culture. And then the choir is made up of people of color. The ushers are people of color. The security guards in the parking lot are people of color, but there's no people of color in leadership positions. And it's like, well, wait a second. You know, Spike Lee did a movie called Do the Right Thing back in the 80s. And there's a scene in that where uh, he's eating in this pizza place and uh, the pizza place is in, is in the hood, but it's run by this guy, Sal, who's Italian. And he's got his pizza place making his money off African-Americans. And so the guy's sitting there eating, and Sal has all these famous Italian people up on the wall. And the guy says, hey, Sal, why don't you got no brothers on the wall? Because brothers are paying the bill. Well, you know, I sat in those churches, and I said, well, yeah, it's multi-ethnic, but nobody of color. Why ain't no brothers up in the pulpit? Why ain't no brothers in leadership? So, yeah, you have the look of multi-ethnic, but it's, it's this institutional church, if you will, that's not under the headship of Jesus Christ. It's under a man and maybe yes. a group of men that's from the dominant culture. And then they're more captured by their culture than Christ. So they're preaching and teaching from a Euro, Eurocentric point of view that doesn't even relate. It's relevant to a lot of the issues of the people call. But if you get a kingdom community, an ecclesia, a group of people who are under the headship of Jesus Christ, who are face-to-face community, then not one of them is the head, but Christ is the head. And that is the key to then really having that. And so we we try to go out and establish these churches to seek this vision of revelation, but it still is artificial. It still is fake. And 
a lot of people won't speak up and say anything because they just want to keep this this image of something that's real, but it's not real. And I refuse in Christ to take anything that's false. I want the real thing. So when you brought up, you know, that kingdom cell, and that's why that, because we can have that. This is why I'm so excited. This is why I can read the book so many times. I might go back and read it again, you know, (laughs) is is because in this, we have something that's earth-shattering, this kingdom of God message. We can just have a revolution in this earth and be what God has ordained us to be from before the foundations of the world. And it's right here. And he chose us for this. We can't settle for less. That's right. And it is happening. But it starts out on a small level. Mm. One of the concerns I have, there are people like yourself, Mm. many of them, thank (laughs) God there are many of them, who didn't just read Insurgents and say, okay, that's another book. Let me check the box. Put it on my shelf. Let me go on to this next book by this other author or this next book by this other author. (laughs) And you know what? That changes nothing. Amen. But to take the book and say, this has opened up a new door. Amen. That I'm now yeah. going to journey on. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not leaving it. Amen. And going on to the next thing. Yeah. That separates those who have truly joined the insurgents from those who they may say they have. Yeah. And all they're really saying there is, oh, yeah, I like the book. Yeah. But I'm going to move on now to this other stuff. Yeah. Right. And nothing changes with that kind of response. And I didn't write the book for that kind of response. Yeah, amen. I mean, even the, the works that I will be producing in the future, they will be related to the insurgents. Amen. And even the books that I have written before and the messages I have given, you can look back at them and say, yeah, I see pieces of this in the insurgents. Point, yeah, it's uh, pointing towards it. Yeah, yeah, yeah pointing yeah, towards yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So... That's a real concern I have, and it's something I wanted to highlight. The other thing, too, is I think a great summary of all that we've said is found in the Lord's conversation with the Samaritan woman. Mm. Years ago, I gave a message. It's on the our YouTube channel, The Deeper Journey, The Diary of a Desperate Samaritan Woman. And not only is it on that YouTube channel, it's also on the Christ is All podcast. So people can listen to the whole thing unravel, but I'll just bring out a few points. Here is Jesus, a Jewish man, in his flesh, (laughs) but truly in his spirit and who he really is, is the head of a new creation that's about to be launched. And he's sitting there tired at a well, and here comes a woman, and she is a Samaritan. She Mm -hmm. is half Jew, half Gentile. Mm -hmm. And Jesus does the unthinkable. He does something shocking. He begins to talk to her. Mm. Well, Jewish men were not to talk to That's right. women in public. And mm. secondly, they surely weren't to talk to Samaritan women. Yeah. You do not fellowship with Samaritan people. And he breaks all the taboos. Yes. So here we see racism being obliterated right there by Jesus speaking to this woman. And then the conversation ensues. And then you have racism within the conversation. You know, well, you Jews say it's Jerusalem and we <laughs> say it's this other mountain. And then the Lord just clears the deck and says it's neither there's coming a time it's a new day Mm. where this racial divide this theological divide this is rooted in racism is now off the table there's a new way to worship the father new way and it doesn't matter where you're born it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is Mm -hmm. what matters is spirit and truth and then he begins to speak to her and as he does they talk about the well. Mm. 
Jacob's well. And Jacob met his wife at a well. That's right. At noon. At noon. And Jesus is talking to a woman at Jacob's well at noon. Hmm. And she is a picture of the bride Father of Jesus Christ. Amen. And guess what? She is half Jew, yeah. half Gentile. Come on. The two races are mingled together inside this Amen. woman. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And that he's is the a new good Jacob. And there's a whole lot more than that, folks. Oh, my goodness. You listen yeah. to the message yeah. here. But there's such a wonderful window. And then the climax of it all, or the way it ends, is he goes back to Samaria with her mm-hmm. and eats with them. Mm. And sleeps there and fellowships with them. All the things that a Jew was never to do. You do not use the same utensils to eat your food as a Gentile did or as a Samaritan did. And Jesus, again, just rips that to shreds. Because he's the head of a new humanity, a new creation. That's neither Jew nor Gentile. And you see the passages in Galatians and Colossians where Paul talks about the kingdom community as a new creation creation where there is neither Yes. All of these races, yes. all of these social yes. forms, Blue all of these social that, divides, yeah. and, and so forth. So, yeah, it's a beautiful message. It's a beautiful reality. It begins with the kingdom cell. And, of course, you know, your kingdom cell may begin with people who are of your your race. There's no problem with that. Yes. But as it grows, yeah. and God willing, we'll have this insurgent conference. Amen. Which all the conferences I have put on, you know this because you've been to many of them. It's multi-ethnic. Yes, we have yes, representation from all around the races, world, all around the world, different countries, different races, different ethnicities, which is always a beautiful thing for me to see because I have been to many, many Christian conferences that were brother ninety-five percent of them. Mm-hmm. It's all one race. Yeah, yeah. And you look and you're like, okay, where are the? And you just name the different races. Yeah, and I could hardly find anybody. Yeah. So that's a beautiful thing, and that's what happens when the kingdom of God is preached. And proclaim in power Amen. and authority, yes. and may God raise up more people like yourself and uh, others who have joined the insurgents, not Amen. just in rhetoric, yeah. have joined it and are moving forward with it and not going on to some other thing. Amen. Amen. That's right. You were saying how it start at, starts out as like this one little cell and then can develop into, you know, full-blown, if you want to say, face-to-face community. And when you were saying that, you know, we always have to remember that the body of Christ is a living organism. Mm-hmm. And when you said that in my spirit, it was like, Jeffrey, you started out as one cell. Praise so Lord. one cell begins to reproduce and, you know, uh, uh, replicate itself until it becomes a full-blown, you know, organism. That's the insurgence. Beautiful. That's the insurgence. Amen. These kingdom cells replicating, multiplying like that. It might start out one ethnicity. And just multiply because we're open to that because we're under the headship of Christ. And I just pray that you guys, y'all brothers and sisters listening, that you catch this. That you just, that the Holy Spirit, you just catch this and you get captured by the glory of Christ. And captured by the eternal purpose of God. And amen. I'm going to be quiet because I could go on for hours. I got a question for you. Amen. To my... Caucasian brothers and sisters, who most of their friends, co-workers, and so forth may be of the same race that they are. What practical things, Jeffrey, could they do to make connections with, to form relationships with people of 
other races. We use the Afro-American community, okay. you know, our black brothers and sisters. What things can they do if they really are stirred by this message and they think to themselves, man, all my friends are white. How can they develop relationships and friendships and forge those things with people of other races? Okay. Well, just off the top, I'd just give like a real life experience. I have a, a friend and he's a uh, younger white brother. He's in his uh, late 20s, maybe early 30s. And um, he interned with me at the rescue mission that I serve at. And after he had left, a couple years later, he, he contacted me. And he did just that. He, he said, he said, Brother Jeff, uh, it's been stirring in my heart. I, I want to intentionally have a relationship with an African-American male. And he said, you came in my spirit. And uh, I was just wondering if, you know, we could just exchange cell phone numbers and, you know, set up a time once a week or biweekly and have a cup of coffee and just talk. And, and so we, we established, uh, you know, this relationship. And he was very intentional. And so I'll just say, uh, say use the name John because I asked him, I said, well, you know, well, what do you want to do that for? And he said to me, he said, you know, I, I looked around at my life and he says I'm always just around other people that look and talk and act just like me and he said I realized that where I went to high school where I went to college he went to a Bible college he's in seminary right now John and I are talking about that he said uh, I've been around people of color but I never made an intentional effort to reach out and and forge a relationship with someone and he said, I always talk with you when I was there, so I just wanted to do that with you. So here's my point from that story. There's people that you see that you engage with. They might be at school, maybe at your college. They might be at the store, the Starbucks, where you get coffee or somewhere. And you see them every day. And all it just takes is a hello and a hi, especially if they're a believer, and to just be intentional. But... What I would also say before that is, and this is what John told me he did, he prayed and asked the Lord to set up a divine encounter awesome. to give him somebody that he could uh, connect with who was of a different ethnicity than him. And he specifically even wanted someone that was older than him. He asked for that, and the Lord gave him me. And he gave John to me also. In other words... I want you to see that it's not a one-way relationship. John ministers to me, too, because he gives me insights into things from his perspective that I would never have thought of, I never would have seen. And so it's, it's a beautiful relationship, and it builds both of us up. And it really opened my eyes up to some areas where I was putting up a uh, guard, if you will, a fence, that was limiting some people from the dominant culture from maybe wanting to approach me because they didn't maybe feel I was approachable. And you know, I had to repent of that and confess it and ask the Lord to help me because I want to be approachable. And I did not even realize that I was doing that. But John brought that to my light. So I would say, as in all things, pray, ask the Lord to give you that divine encounter to establish that divine relationship. That's at the heart of what Christ 
desires for us. He's obliterated every barrier, every fence. It's we humans in our fallenness that have erected these barriers. And we can't solve them through the world system and its ways. It's only in Christ where Frank started out by saying he's the great liberator and the great unifier. Amen. Well said, brother. Well said. We will sign off here and look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Until next time. Later, y'all. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.